Well, I do not ever like to have to start the show with bad news. This is going to hurt worse for some of you than others. Um, but we do have some breaking news to start the show off today. In fact, you know what? I don't ever get to do it, really do the breaking news thing. Uh, so let me take advantage of this. Let me get the soundbite going. We pay for the four-letter words on the name of this radio station for a reason. So, with that being said... Uh, yes, breaking news. Unfortunately, here to open up the show today, I am regretting to inform you high school football fans, you fans of Friday Night Football, that this upcoming week's Friday Night Football game between the Newburn Bears and the D.H. Conley Vikings has been postponed. Yes, um, D.H. Conley announced earlier this morning that they are going to have to post pwn the game due to some COVID issues within the football program. Um, as far as I know, as far as I have heard, there is not going to be an effort for Newburn to find a new opponent this week. Not really going to try to find anybody new to play this week. As of right now, this can all change. We'll keep you updated um, however we can, whenever we may need to do so. But yes, the news here to start the show is that D.H. Conley versus Newburn, which was going to be taking place live from Hollywood Crossroads this Friday night. Actually, no, this one was going to be in Newburn, wasn't it? Yeah, this game was going to be uh, the Bears' home opener is now going to have to wait another couple of weeks as the game has been postponed. We hope that these conference opponents... These conference opponents can get this game in before the year's up. I was talking with uh, Mark Panicelli about this earlier today. This is the risk you run when you come into these shortened, abbreviated seasons. Um, you know, with the the looming cloud of coronavirus hanging over all of this, is well, you know, if if something bad happens, if there are some infections within the program and i'm not going to sit here and speculate. i don't know exactly the details at conley i don't know if somebody tested positive or if it's just one of those contact tracing things or uh what it could be i'm not i'm not here to speculate or rule on that but the moral of the story is is if something bad happens it can very quickly derail the season so just strictly from the aspect of fingers crossed hopes that we can get as many games in as possible this year uh, this is the kind of thing that makes me nervous for the season. I still think everything's going to be fine. Newburn is still, you know, going on its schedule. Going to be back in action, going on the road to take on CB Acock. Um, but no game this upcoming week for the Newburn Bears or the DH Conley Vikings. So we'll keep you hip to that. I know there were a couple of basketball teams here in the area, high school basketball teams in the area that uh, basically had. One instance of contact tracing or a positive test, and everything had to sort of be put on hold for a minute. And, well, just because due process has to run its course and everybody's trying to be as safe as possible, basically shut down the whole season. Basically shut down the whole season for a couple of uh, teams in eastern North Carolina this year. So, fingers crossed that everything at Conley's cool and these kids can get back out there. Uh, to playing some football. Hey, let's keep the high school football conversation going here in just a second. By the way, this is the Sam Avalos Show. I am the aforementioned Sam Avalos. Happy to be hanging out with all of you guys here this afternoon. You have to forgive me if you have been, if you are a religious listener to this show, 
And by religious listener, I don't mean a listener who also happens to be religious. I mean that this is your religion. No, don't let me not say that because that's going to offend some of you too. If you are somebody who is in and around your car every single day from four to six, well, you may have noticed that over the last couple of weeks, this show has been very much touch and go in the sense of I am here one day and I am not here the next. Allow me to explain this to you. And really, it's just for myself. Uh, my life is a whirlwind right now. And not so much in a whirlwind nightmare kind of way. But I think it's like four of the busiest things and four of the most hectic things that I've had to deal with like since last March, right? Like last March is when the world was just put on hold for all of us, right? Obviously, I don't need to uh, rehash all that with you. Well, since then, myself, like a lot of you, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Came to work most days, got through it, went home, sat on my hands, didn't have a whole lot of fun for the entirety of 2020. But 2021 has started off a whole heck of a lot different for your boy Sam Avalis. <laughs> and it's all good. It's all good. Um, but it's all also been... Nightmarish isn't the right word when I'm going to talk about some of the things that uh, I've got going on. Anyways, okay, so so I basically go through 2020, and my life was just as quiet as all of yours. 2021 starts, and we get this spring football season, and I am so happy that high school football is here. I had so much fun getting out to J.H. Rose High School this past Friday night, calling a football game, seeing the, the, the limited crowd that was able to come out there. Oh, it did my heart so much good. But high school football here at this radio station means the workload massively ticks up, okay? And we say it all the time around here. People at this radio station, we wear many hats, okay? We wear many hats. The job isn't just coming here and getting in front of a microphone. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on behind the scenes that uh, we are all responsible for. So the last month here at work has been hyper busy. So on days where Sam has to be out of the office. And yes, I am talking about myself in third person. I understand that that's his douchey thing to do, but you know, if the boot fits. <laughs> uh, I've been out of the office some, so whenever I'm out of the office, I do just kick it to the national show. I do have a uh, an extensive best of file that I could always sprinkle in some stuff for you guys. But, you know, I figure you'd rather hear about the topics of the day. So if it's a day where I have to be out of the office, I just do that instead. Also, I need you guys to just bear with me for the next week and a half. The next week and a half, because if I can make it through this upcoming weekend and into next weekend, I'm going to be a brand new person. Okay, I am going to be the butterfly bursting out of the cocoon. I'm going to be the snake that has shed its skin. I'm going to be revitalized, and uh, I'll be back here ready to rock and roll and go. Because this week, okay, over the next five days, so today's Tuesday. <laughs> this week, I have been, um, well, just within my house, not to give away any crazy details about this, but uh, my girlfriend is beginning a new job this week. And I love her to death. <laughs> and I'm hoping that she skips today's episode of the show. Um, but my job outside of the office here with her has been be super supportive boyfriend. Okay? 
and I've been with her for a long time, and I, I, I like to pat myself on the back and think I'm pretty good at the relationship thing. I am a wonderfully supportive boyfriend. But this new job's been a long time coming, <laughs> and it's finally almost here. And so the supportive boyfriend reserves are being worn thin. Okay, because if you've ever gone through something like this where there's an in-between job stage and you know, anticipation and eagerness about getting the new job and then the eagerness about starting the new job, it's hard for the person in the situation. But let me just selfishly sit here and tell you for a second that uh, I have been frazzled and worn out, <laughs> worn out playing the supportive boyfriend role. Okay. Love you, baby. <laughs> so that's issue number one. So that is going to be resolved this week. I cannot wait. Also, being resolved this week, I mentioned, in case you forgot, we had a global pandemic that began a year ago, approximately. About the same time, my older sister was supposed to get married. Wonderful wedding plans, all that stuff. Did not happen. Not because she left him at the altar. We recommended she do that. <laughs> um, no, I'm, t- I'm kidding. Uh, the wedding was put on hold, and it is now this upcoming weekend. It's really not that stressful for me, but I have my own anxiety issues to where, you know, I'm in the wedding, but I have also been tasked with giving a speech for the wedding. And I have talked about this up here before. I am not a person who is shy at being a public speaker. I, in fact, very much enjoy public speaking. I do. Surprise, surprise, right? I like the attention on me sometimes. Um, but this is a little bit different because. I am trying to do a wedding speech. I am, I am learning throughout this process that a wedding speech isn't about me. Which, if you just look at this radio program, it's called The Sam Avalis Show. And when I was creating the show, I toyed with the idea of calling it The Sam Avalis Show with Sam Avalis featuring Sam Avalis. Because I kind of wanted to just go real, you know, right on the nose with how self-absorbed this show would be. <laughs> Take a look at this segment, for example. So now, like every single week, every single night, I I kid you not, I was just like laying awake last night. It was 3 a.m. in the morning, just laying there wide awake, running through speech scenarios in my head. And I'm not, I don't, I don't write speeches down or I'll jot down notes, but I don't have to go up there with a note card. I like to go off the cuff. I like to go off the cuff. So I'm sitting here and I'm like formulating a million different ways to go about this speech. And there was a while there where I thought I was going to be the guy who did the wedding speech and turned it more into a roast session. And I made the mistake of floating that idea out there to my mother. That didn't go over well. <laughs> and I understand. Um, and there's a risk with being the wedding speaker who turns it into a roast session, right? Like, you, you've been to a wedding before. You've heard the people give speeches. They are varying degrees of quality when it comes to a wedding speech. I think the easiest thing to do I, I always am so jealous if there is a sister of the bride or sister of the groom who gives a speech, because I've been to a ton of weddings where there's a sister that is giving a speech. It has got to be the 
best luxury if you are thrust in that position to be the sister because you, you know the move. You know the move. And I'm not doing a sexist thing here, okay? Men, you can tap into your feelings and you can cry here too. But how many times have you been at a wedding and heard a speech and it's a sister and they get up there and they speak for two, three, four minutes, whatever it is, because you got to keep it short. That's another lesson I've been taught and told. This is my first wedding speech. I've never given a speech at a wedding. But if you're the sister, you can get up there and what can you do? What can you do when people, you're going to knock it out of the park? 100% success rate. What do you do? You sob your way through the speech. You get up there and if you start crying, you know, the lip starts to tremble and then you can't get through it and it's like, oh, sorry, let me pull myself together. That's, you can't lose. It's an unlosable situation. I don't know if unlosable is a word, but you can't lose. It's a can't lose situation. How about that? I'm not an English major. I can't get up there and just tear up my way and cry my way through this speech. I got to get up there and I got I to gotta knock it out of the park. So I have, I have kind of pivoted. I am now doing sentimental speech. You know, and I've got all sorts of stories between my sister and myself or her fiance and myself. Uh, I've got some good material, but I'm nervous. I'm a little nervous in the sense of I want to make sure that I do a good job because it's going to be, well, it's not going to be remembered. Nobody's going to this wedding and walking away. It's like, yeah, you know, it was a nice wedding, but you know what? You know what I'm really going to remember from, Sam, from, uh, from Sam's sister's wedding is Sam's speech. No, that's not going to be the case, and I'm 100% aware of that. But I'd still like to do a good job. I still like to do a good job, and I am stressing out. I, I'd like to debut some of the jokes on here, but if you don't know my sister and her fiance, you probably wouldn't get them. But I'm also incredibly nervous. <laughs> I'm incredibly nervous about even attempting jokes during the wedding speech. I gotta, I gotta keep it a little light. It can't just be four minutes of, you know, a Hallmark card. But I am, I am realizing, as this gets closer, the looming threat. I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy. Love stand-up comedy. Always have loved it. I love observing it. I've always thought I'd like to try my hand at it. But number one, sometimes I'm not really aware if I'm funny or not. And number two, I have quickly, 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 quickly realized that I have been spoiled when it comes to making jokes in public. By working in radio for the last four or five years. And it's because when I make a joke on this radio show, I don't have to see your reaction. <laughs> and sometimes that's probably a good thing because if you listen to this show frequently, I have probably made jokes before that you have rolled your eyes at, groaned at, changed the dial because it was painfully unfunny. I'm blissfully aware of that. But I am the only one sitting in this room right now. And so if I make a joke, I might think it's funny. But if I make a joke and I'm standing in front of, I don't know how many people are going to be at this wedding, more than I'm going to be comfortable uh, taking a hack in front of, there's nothing worse than going out and bombing, right? So I'm nervous about making the jokes because I don't want to make the joke and have somebody just flat out not laugh at it. Because <laughs> that would just hurt my feelings. I was hearing from a buddy of mine recently who uh, goes back and listens to the podcast sometimes. And if you do that, I really do appreciate it. If you would like to, of course, you can find the Sam Avila Show podcast wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I actually might have been talking about the same thing, the wedding speech. And he said, man, I, I can tell that you're kind of neurotic sometimes. 
I was like, what do you mean? He said, no. He's like, the segment that you did where you talked about your anxiety for having to speak at your sister's wedding. He said, I got such a kick out of that because it was a come experience what it's like to be trapped inside my mind. Come experience what it's like to be trapped inside my mind. It's kind of a scary place. So anyways, I got, got that going on, right? We got the start of high school football. That's been a uh, whirlwind of a week here. I don't know. This, these are like real super first world problems, but you know, whatever. <laughs> if there's more serious stuff I don't talk about on the radio, I do have a little bit of a filter and a barometer for what is uh, appropriate to be revealed about my personal life and what is not to an extent. But we got the start of the high school football season. That's been a lot of work. A blessing. I've loved to have it back, but that's been a lot of work. Um, got the been doing the supportive boyfriend thing with my girlfriend getting a new job. That's draining. All right, gentlemen, fellas, you know that's a little draining. Got the wedding is finally this weekend. Okay, so you get why I'm a little stressed. This is all happening at the exact same time. Not my wedding, my sister's wedding, but I'm heavily involved. And then, on top of it all, I'm buying my first home, and I close on it on Tuesday. And, buddy, let me tell you, I am not ready for that. (laughs) Everything else that is going on, on top of that, um, yeah, getting a house, so... You know, I've been doing the uh, been doing the rent thing for a couple years now, and uh, it was it was just time. But let me tell you, it it's stressful too. Most of you are familiar with uh, with that process and that ordeal, and how uh, you know every single day you wake up and somebody's got their their hand outstretched and they want some more money. So that being said, if uh, if there is a day and you tune in and you are not hearing my voice on the radio station and you miss it, well, I'm sorry, but I will be coming back to you. If you don't miss it, well, I'm sorry. I will still be uh, coming back to you. So I appreciate your, uh, your patience and your support throughout all of this. Of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Sam Avalos. You can follow the show, The Sam Avalos Show podcast, wherever you get your podcast. We are going to get to some sports today, a little bit. You know, we got some J.J. Watt news. Uh, I do want to loop back to this high school football stuff briefly. Maybe we'll get to that uh, quickly in the next segment because I wanted to talk a little bit about the Newburn J.H. Rose game that was this past Friday night. A tough start to the season for the Newburn Bears, but... Uh, Maybe not excuses, but perhaps exclamation or explanations, perhaps uh, different factors that could have made that game go a different direction. But also, you know, tip of the cap, J.H. Rose. Of course, they are one of our area teams. I am favorite. I am a favorite of, uh, or favored, favorable, favorable. I'm favorable towards Newburn. I'm a Newburn grad. Sue me. We'll talk about that game a little bit later coming up. Hey, the UNC Tar Heels. That game last night, two-point loss to Syracuse. That game had the feeling of a season-ender. That game had the feeling of a season-ender. And I'm not saying this is down and out and this is it for the UNC Tar Heels and they are NIT bound. But boy, sometimes, sometimes you have a team and they just, end of the year, it's a bit of a collapse. 
bit of a collapse at the end of the season. We're down to the final game or two for most of our college teams. Final game or two. In fact, we've got Wake Forest versus Pittsburgh tonight. Wake Forest, well, their season's already pretty much over. But we will have that coming up. I think that's a 6 o'clock tip. We'll have it for you right here, ESPN Newburn listeners. Um, but we got Carolina Duke this weekend. We're going to get into Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology. Shout out Joe Lenardi. I saw him on my television screen for the first time yesterday. 2020 was a bad year. 2020 treated Joe Lenardi well. Because I always like to laugh and say this fellow works one month a year. That's probably not entirely true, but we only see him one month a year, right? Leading up to March Madness every single season. Well, he had that. He had that unceremoniously ripped away from him last year. His moment in the sun was ripped away from him. Joe Lenardi could have gone and retreated into solidarity and solitude and desperation and sadness. But my man Joe Lenardi took 2020, and if you have not seen him yet... I used to describe Joe Lenardi. I don't like to take shots at people's appearances, but sometimes it's fitting. I used to describe Joe Lenardi as a bag of milk. He looked like a bag of milk with hair on it and a face. <laughs> My man Joe Lenardi, good for him, took 2020, and he is felt. My man Joe Lenardi has been hitting the gym looking good. He is geared up ready for March Madness. He has his latest bracketology out. And it's been a rough year for Blue Bloods. But those Duke Blue Devils, yes, they have found themselves in the first four in conversation. Duke playing much better basketball as of late. Did they even need Jalen Johnson? Probably could have helped. But it's always interesting to see how teams sort of begin to gel a little bit differently, even when you take away their best player. We'll get into some of that a little bit uh, a little bit later. So some Duke basketball coming up, uh, some UNC basketball talk coming up a little bit later today. <laughs> you guys remember Josh Graham that used to be on 94.3 here in the area. Um, we made fun of him last week for asking a question of Roy Williams, and Roy Williams kind of, not put him on blast, but had a classic daggum Roy Williams response. Well, Roy Williams walked it back a little bit last night after the loss to Syracuse and apologized. Yes, we've had Coach K and now Roy Williams both apologize to reporters this year, which is kind of a far cry from anything we were used to seeing from either of those guys. But anyways, we'll get into some of that. Uh, Chris Russo, Mad Dog Russo, farted on his radio show. I have that soundbite. I do want to play that for you at some point today because I certainly got a kick out of that. Uh, all that and more coming up this afternoon. You're listening to The Sam Avalos Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Sam Avalos Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Coming up tomorrow, Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer going to stop by and uh, talk a little bit of Carolina Panthers draft. NFL draft, I don't know what, usually back half of April. I think it's like April 25th or something. We're still quite a long ways away from the NFL draft this year. Yes, I know. But the Carolina Panthers are one of those teams that, as the beginning of the league calendar is much closer than the draft, the league calendar begins on March 17th. The Panthers are one of those teams that could potentially make some moves that would have some ripple effects throughout the rest of the draft. Or leading up to the draft. Do they trade number eight? Do they do something with number eight? Last week, we talked about it a little bit here on this show. But the uh, the latest Mel Kuyper mock draft came out. 
Mock draft 4.6, 4.7, wherever he's at now. <laughs> um, and he had Carolina taking Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. Mac Jones at number eight. And it seems like most Panthers fans had the same reaction that we had here on this show where we threw up in our mouth a little bit. Yeah. Mac Jones, uh, not necessarily the sexy pick. And I'm not saying Mac Jones won't be a quality NFL quarterback. But I think if you go through the offseason that we Panthers fans have done, where we have been talking about the carrot dangling in front of this fan base that is Deshaun Watson for so many months now. Or you've talked about the potential of Justin Fields falling far enough in the draft or more ludicrous scenarios like Carolina finding a way to make a deal with Jacksonville and move up to number one or perhaps taking a chance on Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Zach Wilson is the guy out of BYU who it seems like no matter how you imagine the dominoes will ultimately fall this offseason, I don't know if I've seen a scenario or a path to where Carolina ends up with Zach Wilson. So anyways, uh, Jonathan Alexander wrote an article over the weekend about the pros and cons of Matt Jones potentially becoming a Carolina Panther by way of the NFL draft this year. So he's going to be on tomorrow's show. Should be some fun to talk to him because I, for one, am very much interested, very much interested to see how and why somebody would want to make a positive case for Mac Jones. Uh, just seems boring. Okay. I don't. The thing is, is I say that and like, you know, we're going to look back years from now and be like, you know what? Maybe Mac Jones was the smart guy. Maybe Mac Jones was the safest guy. Like we're already having that reaction when it comes to Justin Herbert this year, right? Like it was, it was fantastic. I, I was tickled pink this morning sitting in here talking to Mark Panicelli, of course, who you can catch weekday mornings 8 to 10 right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Uh, Mark's a Dolphins fan, as I'm sure a lot of you are aware. And so we were just... Uh, talking about all these different scenarios, the quarterback carousel, if you will, which I think quarterback carousel is a very pretentious way to say it. I think we should call it the quarterback merry-go-round because I know growing up as a kid, there was never, never one time did I find myself at a fair, state fair, Mumfest, an amusement park, and there was a carousel that I referred to as a carousel, right? Nobody actually uses the phrase carousel. It's not like, hey, mom, I want to go ride on the carousel. No, you want to go ride on the merry-go-round. Okay, so as the quarterback merry-go-round, as we are now going to from, as a, that is a, a new law here on this show. It is no longer the quarterback carousel. It's the quarterback merry-go-round because we try to be as, um, as not pretentious as possible here on this show. We're lucky to string a sentence together sometimes. So we're certainly not going to go out of our way to use pretentious words like carousel. The quarterback merry-go-round. Mark was saying that, you know, because Miami's one of these teams that's also kind of in the mix and in the conversation as it comes to what's going to happen this offseason with your quarterback. The conversation around Tua, Tungvaloa, is he might be good. We're a little concerned that Tua might still stink. 
If you're a Dolphins fan, I think your concern about that is uh, a little bit higher. It no longer feels like he necessarily has the upside that we once thought him to have. And Mark was saying this morning, it's like, yeah, you know, looking back on it, I wish we had gotten Justin Herbert. Wish we had ended up taking Justin Herbert. If you told me five years from now that the guy who emerged from this upcoming quarterback draft class, the one that consists of Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and Justin Fields, right? Those are those are really the five names that we're expecting to be called at some point in the first round. If you told me five years from now Mac Jones emerged as the best quarterback in that class, I probably wouldn't be that shocked. I probably wouldn't be that shocked. But here now on this side of it, and the reason I brought up Tua is Tua is now just the next guy who is being added to this list of quote-unquote failed NFL quarterbacks that have come from Alabama. Right, The list of Alabama quarterbacks that have had success in the NFL isn't all that long. I'm not saying Mac Jones couldn't become that guy, but from my vantage point, where, where I am sitting here on this side of the table looking at it, I see yet another version of a quarterback who is helped out by the stud wide receivers around him. And that has been the trick that has been played. That has been the trick that has been played on many NFL teams. Ever, I'll, I'll limit it to the last decade. The McCarrens, the McElroys. I'm sure there's a couple others in there that I'm, I'm missing. Alabama quarterbacks have had the luxury of throwing to the Julio Joneses, the Calvin Ridleys, the Amari Coopers the Jerry Judys, the Henry Ruggs, all these guys who have gone to the NFL and not only just gone to the NFL, made impacts in the NFL, and in most of those cases, made impacts in their rookie season in the NFL. You take this year, and uh, Devonta Smith obviously won the Heisman, and then there's that other guy who spent most of the year hurt, and his name escapes me, had the ankle injury, and people were mad at him because he played some in the national championship game. And a lot of current players in the NFL were like, hey, dude, go sit down, protect your draft stock, don't uh, don't get injured again. Mag Jones had the, the privilege of being able to throw the ball to those receivers this year, and they buoyed his numbers. Now you can get into some of the analytics and the sabermetrics, um, and his completion percentage was through the roofs this year. The guy's a hyper-efficient football player. But I just always, I guess it's just, I'm just using history. I'm not really going off of an eye test here. It's just the history of Alabama quarterbacks makes me nervous if I'm a Panthers fan and I'm seeing the potential, seeing the potential of Mac Jones winding up in Charlotte with the Panthers. Makes me a little bit nervous. I watched so many Bama games this year because it took about week seven, week eight for me to catch wind that this Devontae Smith wide receiver was that dude. And I was like, all right, I got to check him out. And uh, he was that dude. (laughs) And the reason I could tell that he was so special and so good is because not that this didn't happen, but if you go and you just want to look up a highlight package from Devontae Smith this year, the stuff that's going to blow you away, the stuff that made him a Heisman Trophy winner, the stuff that led to him having such an impact in that national championship game this past year, an impact that probably could have been larger if he wasn't so good in just the first half where he scored, what was it, three touchdowns? All they did in Alabama this year with Devontae Smith was like, hey, dude, just line up in the slot and just do like a quick drag route out. And we'll throw it to you right in the flats, four yards deep. 
and then we'll get out of the way. <laughs> That's what a lot of Mac Jones's numbers look like this year. But I did listen to uh, Dan Orlovsky. I think was doing a segment. Maybe it was on Sports Center. Maybe this was late last week. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, I think, has been such a great asset for ESPN. Um, a very non-memorable NFL career. If you spend most of your career being a backup in Detroit, that'll probably happen. <laughs> but as an analyst, as a quarterback analyst, I think he's done a really good job. And so I, I when I listen to Dan Orlovsky talk about a quarterback, um, I try to absorb that information because I, th- I think he's right and I think he's smart. One of the positive things that he had to say about Mac Jones was the fact that he was asked to do so many different things at Alabama. And what I mean by that is, I don't even know if it's to this extent is necessarily what I'm saying, but you hear so often about different quarterbacks who are system quarterbacks, right? System quarterback. He's a system guy. He's a system guy. I know Kyler Murray and a lot of quarterbacks who come out of uh, Lincoln Riley's system in Oklahoma are thought of like this, right? Where it's just that very fast, high-tempo, air-raid kind of offense with the super mobile quarterback, that's the big reason why when Arizona was looking for a coach last offseason, two offseasons ago, whatever it was, they went out and got Cliff Kingsbury because they knew Cliff Kingsbury, even though he did not ever do any real kind of winning. You know, a guy who consistently won only six or seven games a year when he was at Texas Tech, they got him because they knew he would run a system that would fit Kyler Murray. It's like, hey, we have the intention to draft this guy. Remember, there was the whole thing that Cliff Kingsbury um, was – doing an interview while he was still at Texas Tech and was just talking about different players around the league, you know, just one of those, let's just talk about college football as a landscape here. And he mentioned Kyler Murray's name, who was on the fast track to win a Heisman Trophy that year at Oklahoma. And he said, you know, and you guys remember this, if I had the number one pick in the NFL draft, I would be taking Kyler Murray. It wouldn't even be close. So the Cardinals, who had the number one pick in the draft that year, filed that away. Because they knew Kyler Murray was kind of one of these system guys. You got to put him in an offense that looks like it looks like one of these college offenses, which are becoming more prevalent in the NFL. And there are more guys who are capable of coaching that, right? It's not like Cliff Kingsbury's out here reinventing the wheel, but it's a familiarity there. Familiarity. You got right round peg, round hole. That's a marriage that'll work in the NFL. I'm not even trying to get into the J.J. Watt stuff today, but maybe maybe we'll circle back around to J.J. Watt. But as this pertains to Mac Jones, and the reason I bring up Kyler Murray and the system thing is because Dan Orlovsky over the weekend was saying, you know, this guy can fit pretty much anywhere. He can fit whatever offense you want. Um, we obvi- and this isn't all. This isn't gospel. This isn't. This is the only way to do it. But I remember when. Justin Herbert was coming out. And this was actually more following Justin Herbert's junior year at Oregon. Because you may remember when Justin Herbert was a junior at Oregon, if he had declared for the NFL draft that year, a lot of people thought he would be the surefire number one pick. That was the year that Kyler went number one. They thought if Justin Herbert were deciding to go to the NFL draft, he would be the number one pick. Opted to come back one more season at Oregon, and people said, people, I say people, I mean like 
people who are much better at this. People who actually study football and know football uh, better than somebody like me. Just I'm, I'm just a fan like you are. The conversation around Justin Herbert was, well, you know the guy, he, he's taken 98% of his snaps from the shotgun. That's all he knows how to do is just line up, run this spread them out offense, take the snaps from the shotgun. Which in the NFL, a lot of teams, a lot of organizations would bristle up at that a little bit. It's like, hey, we'd like to see this guy be able to do a little bit more. Now, Justin Herbert, clearly, uh, after one season, small sample size, but I think he did enough in one sample size, we realize that that's not going to be a problem for Justin Herbert. That's just what Mario Cristobal and all those other coaches, I don't even know who the coach is at Oregon anymore. It's been a revolving door since Chip Kelly left. Um that was just what Oregon did with Justin Herbert. He was capable of doing other things. Those questions aren't there for Mac Jones. The way Dan Orlovsky put it, he said, look, this is a guy playing at Alabama. Alabama is one of the few colleges that kind of plays a true pro-style offense. So at the very least, what you can say positively about Mac Jones is here's a guy coming in, coming into an NFL organization that isn't going to be asked to do something that he hasn't seen before. So if you're doing your little plus delta column, you remember those from school? Plus delta. This is good. This is this is bad. That's a check in the plus column, right? That's a check in the plus column for Mac Jones. So I'm not I'm not against building a case for Mac Jones. I just don't think it has the on the surface level the sex appeal that a lot of these other guys have and for uh, for my purposes, having something to talk about, sex appeal is good. And I'll, I mean, he might be an attractive man. If Mac Jones walked in here and sat on my lap right now, I'm not sure I could identify him. <laughs> I use that expression a lot. I don't know if I do on this show, but that is like my go-to is, you know, you couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I always say he could come in here and sit in my lap and I would have no idea who he is. And uh, I get some looks sometimes <laughs> if I say that to somebody who's not familiar with that expression. Um but but anyways, I just mean it's not a it's not a fun exciting pick like Justin Fields. That's a fun exciting pick. Mac Jones, not so much. But he's got the tools. The accurate. Spent a lot of time under center. Spent a lot of time in the pistol. Spent a lot of time in shotgun. Ran spread. Went ran pro sets. Ran eye formations. Ran an offense that one weekend featured the running back. Ran another offense uh, on another weekend where. You know, I mean, at the end of the say what you want about, and I'm saying it too, about him just taking these easy passes a lot with a guy like Devontae Smith, that it's not that hard to put up gaudy numbers with an offense like Alabama. But at the same time, you know, it takes a pretty talented quarterback to come in and, and buoy an 1,800-yard wide receiver, right? Like, isn't that what Devontae Smith ended up with, a little over 1,800 yards this season? And I think another thing you can say about Mac Jones is this dude is like a a lifer QB. And I guess what I mean by that is Mac Jones isn't one of those quarterbacks who was ever expected to arrive at this point. And I'd be curious to see as the next month and a half unfolds and we get closer and closer to the NFL draft, what kind of... uh, personality traits are assigned to Mac Jones because we will hear a lot more about that stuff coming up over the next month and a half. And I don't put but so much stock into it. 
right? Like the the I like Kevin Costner as an actor, but I always love to bring up the movie Draft Day with him and um, was it Jennifer Garner or Jennifer Love Hewitt? I get those two confused. <laughs> where he was like the if you haven't seen the movie it's absolutely horrible and i don't recommend it and this is enough to make you never watch the movie if you've gotten to this point in your life and you haven't seen kevin costner's draft day uh you are doing yourself a favor and here's why is because really the biggest storyline from that movie is kevin costner's like the general manager or the coach one or the other of the cleveland browns and they had the number one pick in the draft or the number two pick in the draft or whatever it is and so the whole movie is building up to the draft, and they're trying to figure out which guy do they want to take at the top. And there's this, this stud quarterback, right? This guy is supposed to be so good, he's the next big thing. But Kevin Costner says, no, you know, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. Let me, let me look into the attributes of this young man. And the reason they didn't end up drafting him, and this is stupid, and I'm laughing at it, and I don't think NFL teams really dig to this level, but I'm curious to keep an eye on Mac Jones because of this. The reason they opted to not draft the the stud quarterback was because none of his teammates went to his birthday party. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. That's why they chose not to draft the guy who's supposed to be like the can't-miss quarterback prospect. It's because none of his teammates attended his birthday party. And so I guess the red flag there, because this is just a horrible movie, the red flag there was, well, you know, maybe this guy's not that likable. His teammates don't really enjoy being around him. Perhaps this is not the guy that we want leading our NFL team. I don't know that Mac Jones is necessarily going to have that, but the reason I tell that story is some of those intangibles do sometimes sell NFL teams, whether you think it should or should not. Sometimes it's the intangibles that make the difference in these things. A couple weeks ago when Carson Wentz was a a bigger story and we were getting the reports that Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson didn't get along, I tossed the idea out there that I wouldn't be shocked if Trey Lance, a guy who a month or two ago was a pretty much surefire top five pick, North Dakota State product, I said I would not be shocked if Carson Wentz having the last season or two that he's had is going to affect Trey Lance's draft stock. Completely different players. But we don't have a real big track record of NFL players coming out of North Dakota State University. And we don't have a real long track record of quarterbacks coming out of North Dakota State University. But very recently, we had a number two overall selection come out as quarterback from North Dakota State University, Carson Wentz. And that is a career that has uh, had some detours along the way, to say the least, and had some bad storylines that have come out from it. And so, since then, as the last month has gone by, I've seen Trey Lance start to fall down draft boards. And it's a silly reason, but I think there has to be something there that's like, hey, people are like, well, you know, maybe we'll just pass on the North Dakota State quarterback for now because we're not really sure what we've seen. I don't know. My point here about Mac Jones is just simply that I think he was like a three- or four-star guy coming out of high school. And if you're not real into those recruiting rankings and, and don't really believe in them too much, I, I also agree with you. Um, a perfect example, I think Russell Wilson like was barely a two-star guy when he was recruited by NC State. Yeah, Now one of the most sought-after quarterbacks, um, making a messy trade situation up there in Seattle. 
Mac Jones is a guy who wasn't super highly recruited, but had his heart sent on going to Alabama, got the offer, accepted the offer, and was never supposed to really be the guy. The way the trajectory was working out, there I can't remember the exact timeline, but at one point he was playing behind Jalen Hurts, who was going to be there for a few years. And then the heir apparent to Jalen Hurts was Tua. And then Tua gets injured. Mac Jones gets some starts. Right? They've got I can't remember the guy who they drafted, uh, or the, excuse me, that they recruited this past cycle, not the one we're currently in, but the past cycle. He was on the team this year. Um Blake something? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Alabama basically has the number one quarterback in the most recent high school class sitting behind Mac Jones. And I don't know that Nick Saban in this recruiting process or this five-star quarterback recruit, top recruit in the country, who was sitting behind Mac Jones, that was never really the plan. But what did Mac Jones do? He got to Alabama. He put in the work. He proved himself. He was a good teammate. He sat behind Jalen Hurts. He sat behind Tua. Served in in relief duty. And was just always there ready for his opportunity. Ready for his moment. And when he got his moment, he won a national championship. (laughs) Won a national championship and buoyed the Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver. So it's just something to think about with Mac Jones. So anyways, this this whole entire segment, this 20-some-odd-minute segment, was literally just a promo for Jonathan Alexander joining us tomorrow. But uh, very excited to him because he's done a little bit of a profile on Mac Jones. So if you, and I am on your side, if you are one of these people who saw Mel Kuyper's mock draft last week and said, no, no, hell no, no Mac Jones, we don't want to get in this business. Well, the Carolina Panthers, we think we've got some upside. We think there could be a real upswing this offseason. Pretty much all centered around number four in Houston. We went away for Deshaun Watson. We want to take a chance on one of these more exciting kind of names. I don't know if they'll be better, but more exciting names at least um, for the rookie year and talking about the outlook into the offseason. Mac Jones isn't the name that's going to get you amped up. But over the next month, we might be able to build a case to where you can explain to people and you can make a deal with yourself and make yourself feel better that Mac Jones could indeed uh, could make you just feel better. I don't know. It could get you more excited. I know Mel Kuyper compared him to Tom Brady. And I rolled my eyes when I saw the headline, but I went back and found the clip. And... Even Mel Kuyper himself was like, I hate to do this. I do not want to make this comparison. I know it sounds ridiculous, but there's a lot of parallels between Tom Brady and Mac Jones. I'd like to hear what those parallels are. Like I said, I'm not the guy who's going to sit here and break down film for you. But we will have people on who can. So, yes, a reminder, coming up tomorrow, um, Jonathan Alexander, Charlotte Observer, going to be right here. We'll talk some Carolina Panthers football. More of the Sam Avalos Show coming up. Welcome back to the Sam Avalos Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Happy 5 o'clock to you. Can y'all hear the squeak microphone when I move this thing around? It has been squeaked. It's one of those things. It has literally been squeaking like for like a year. And every time I hear it squeak, 
Like, I'll hear the show back sometimes. I'll be like, oh, I gotta get that daggone microphone stand fixed. Keep squeaking. And, uh, you know, it's, it's simple. I'm sure I could just, you know, WD 40 up a couple of these screws and joints in this thing. And, uh, it'd be problem solved, but, you know, such is life. Such is life. Sometimes we put off things that would be so easy to just uh, do and get done and have them be over with, and we don't. Or maybe I'm just lazy. Or it can be both. <laughs> uh, this is the Sam Avila Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. This segment being brought to you, of course, of course, by Toyota of New Bern. Highway 70 just outside of New Bern, right between James City and Havelock, right there on the left. The largest car dealerships, largest inventories of new and pre-owned vehicles right here in eastern North Carolina. Hey, you got a little time left. You may be heading that direction right now. If you're not, you need to whip around and head out to Toyota of Newburn because every single Tuesday at Toyota of Newburn is Test Drive Tuesday. That's right. Head out there, test drive any vehicle there on the lot, and your name will be entered in to win an Amazon gift card. Just that easy. So head out to Toyota of Newburn. We're going on right now. Well, number one, they want to offer you top dollar on your trade today. That's right, offering up to 120% of the Kelly Blue Book value of your vehicle. But also, hey, at Toyota of Newburn this month, financing as low as 0% APR plus no payments for up to 90 days. No better time to buy than right now out at Toyota of Newburn. That's Toyota of Newburn, more than just a dealership. So I wanted to squeeze this in here. Um, coming up in the next segment, we're going to get into a little bit more of this college basketball stuff and just see uh, what does that loss to Syracuse last night, two-point loss for the Tar Heels, mean for their postseason hopes? Why does Joe Lenardi, a much more svelte and in-shape Joe Lenardi than s- since the last time we saw him, 2020, was a productive year in the gym for Joe Lenardi? His latest bracketology does have the Duke Blue Devils gasping for postseason breath. Uh, We'll get to some of that coming up a little bit later today, as well as, um, I don't know, Mad Dog Russo farted on the radio, and I really want to play that sound. There's a couple other things I can't remember. I can't remember. Oh, Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets. Um, Charlotte Hornets got a shout-out on Saturday Night Live this weekend, which I thought was really cool. But uh, here in this segment, I wanted to remind folks that while, yes, 252 ESPN Radio is your home for Friday Night Football, right, the number one source for high school football here in the area, well, we had some news earlier today that does affect our Friday Night Football viewing schedule or listening schedule, if you will. The New Bern Bears versus D.H. Conley game, which was slated for 6.30 this Friday night, has been postponed. D.H. Conley has halted activities within their football program temporarily. I'm sure you can ascertain why that would be the case. But that game has been temporarily postponed. So um, as of right now, we do not have a game for you this upcoming Friday night. We may be addressing that. Um, we may be scheduling something else. We may not. We'll see. And we'll keep you updated on any news that comes out of those two schools as to uh, 
what that means. It sounds like they're going to try to make this game up at a later date. So both these teams can still get their full slate of seven games in, but we'll keep you monitored. But that's the news of the day is that right here in Eastern North Carolina, we have had our first COVID-related postponement in high school football. But, um, you know, hoping that everything's going to be okay and these guys can get back out on track. I wanted to revisit briefly, since I wasn't in here yesterday doing the show, I wanted to revisit briefly the opening game for J.H. Rose versus Newburn, which uh, if you joined us on the broadcast, very appreciative of that. This was last Thursday night. I had some other stuff planned, so I didn't get to it on Friday. But um, if you haven't seen the score, well, it wasn't a pretty one. 54-7 to was the final. J.H. Rose uh, put the beat down on the Newburn Bears. Uh, 54-7. Newburn only produced 142 total yards of offense in that game. J.H. Rose put up 438 total yards of offense in that game. And throughout the broadcast, it was hard to... It was hard to look at Newburn and and feel like this team wasn't what we saw back in 2019 where they made a run to the uh, regional semifinals where they lost to uh, Cardinal Gibbons, which is like just a football academy essentially. It was still it still felt like Newburn was a good team, but throughout throughout the broadcast we kept saying you know J H Rose, well they just look real special. They've got this uh, quarterback Wade Jarman's been there a few years. He put on a show, um, 199 through the air, and 20 of 28 that night. A couple touchdowns as well. They've got this outstanding wide receiver named Kevin Hamilton who uh, rushed for a handful of yards at a couple of touchdowns of his own, had a 75-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, was making plays all over the defense. I want to give a shout-out to Kevin Hamilton. And, of course, a name that you will hear a lot about over the next two high school football seasons at J.H. Rose, a four-star recruit at running back Michael Allen. Uh, in his junior season now, will be a senior in the fall. Has already gotten offers and looks from pretty much all of our local universities. And then uh, I think I even saw most recently he's picked up an offer from South Carolina. So the SEC offers are continuing to trickle in. Uh, he had 15 carries, 158 yards, and a touchdown in that game. Also caught six balls for 49 yards and a touchdown in that game. It was a very one-sided football game. J.H. Rose is a studly team, though. That is a really, really darn good football team. Uh, It is going to be them and Conley really battling it out for the 3A spot coming out of this Eastern Carolina 3A, 4A conference, which, of course, is what all these teams participate in. And talk to Coach Will Bland for J.H. Rose after the game, and he said a lot of the same things that we on the broadcast were thinking where – it seemed like J.H. Rose uh, was real limited in what they were trying to do that night in the sense of they could have done more. And they probably could have scored more points. And they weren't scared to try to run up the score on Newburn. <laughs> and I don't mean this in any bad way. I am actually all for high school teams running the score up on one another because um, for the sake of the, the athletes on the team, if you can pump these guys' numbers up, inflate these guys' numbers up when you have those opportunities, well, I think in the long run it helps with them and these national rankings. And, uh, you know, if you if you got a coach who doesn't like to run the score up and let's just say take the running back position, for example, you have high school A, high school B, running back A, running back B. 
Well, high school A and running back A is on a team that is coached by a guy who likes to keep the foot on the gas for four quarters. And you have a comparable player at high school B, and his coach doesn't like to run the score up. So you could have any given Friday where a running back A has 300 yards, and running back B was limited to 120 yards, but he sat most of the fourth quarter, or his team wasn't very aggressive in the fourth quarter. So I'm all four teams liking to run up the score. And I, I thought it was a little funny. And I, I love all these coaches here in this area and uh, have really gotten to enjoy getting to know Newburn's coach, Tori Now, and was happy to meet for the first time uh, in person Coach Will Bland last Friday night. But Caleb King, former Havelock football coach, is the offensive coordinator and assistant down at J.H. Rose. And I love Coach Caleb King, but my man Caleb King likes to run the score up. And they were looking to do that. J.H. Rose was looking to do that. But one of the things that we aired on in the broadcast, and I don't know if Mark has spoken about this on his show at all, um, but I wanted to make sure I, I got this info out there for those of you. I know I know high school football isn't everyone's bag, but we care a lot about it here at 252 Radio, and I think a lot of folks in this area at least really like to know what's going on. If you saw the headline, 54-7, to J.H. Rose over Newburn. Well, that'll make you feel a certain way, especially if you are a Newburn supporter. I support all the local teams here in the area, but I am a Newburn High School graduate. So, you know, if I have my way, I'm going to have my Newburn Bears leading the package every single year. An interesting situation unfurled in the opening series of the game. So, Newburn uh, won the coin toss, elected to receive. That's what they like to do. Newburn, Newburn enjoys getting the ball first and going out there and setting the tone, setting the tempo of the game. Triple option offense. Let's get out there and let's just run it down their throat, eat up seven minutes of the first quarter, culminating in a touchdown. That was the virtually the game script of every single game in 2019, this season where Newburn went, what, 10-3 and three, ultimately? Kamad Scriven, starting quarterback two years ago, season and a half ago, starting quarterback for the Newburn Bears this year. Kamad's a wonderful player. And what is so special about Kamad Scriven and why he had so much success in his junior year, first year under Tory Now running this triple option offense, is you could see as the season went on that Kamad Scriven was better and better at quarterbacking a triple option offense. And the reason that's so hard is because there's a lot of movement. Uh, you have to read the defense. It's a very cerebral position. Quarterback's always a cerebral position. You know this. But when you're running a triple option, you got to take it to another level. You've got to be able to take that ability to read and instantly react on the fly to make the scheme work. And Kamad's great at that. Second or third play into the game for Newburn this past Friday night, right? Score still 0 0. Kamad Scriven. A read option, he ends up keeping the ball, runs right off tackle, takes the ball, I don't know, 50, 54 yards to the house. I'm going to see if I can find the um, the text here that we were reading on Twitter. But what ended up happening here in this, uh, this stretch is, come on, takes off running around the right side, takes it to the house. House is it. Third play of the game. To the house, 54 yards. But as he's approaching the end zone, he dives. And not so much just like stretching out, trying to break a tackle or extend across the goal line. 
maybe put a little extra mustard on it. Nothing at the time that I thought was anything egregious. It certainly wasn't showboaty. But what ended up happening is the play got called back and Kamad Scriven wasn't on the field. The play got called back due to a hold and Kamad wasn't on the field and there was a flag out. Now it came back because of a hold, but there was an unsportsmanlike penalty that was thrown in the end zone. So they, they bring it back, they mark off the penalty yardage. Kamad Scriven, starting quarterback for the Newburn Bears, doesn't go out on the field. He's not out there. Okay. Uh, maybe he's getting a talking to and the coach on the sideline. Doesn't end up making it back in the game um, the rest of the way. And actually talking to some of the coaches, and I think I um, can't remember who it was that told Coach Kevin Yost, who calls the games with us on Friday nights, uh, we got the, the insider info, basically, that Kamad had gone out onto the field one more time, and apparently he was not allowed to. And the reason he wasn't allowed to is because the new rule in high school football here in our state is apparently – if you showboat a little bit on your way to the end zone or the referee deems that you show up the opposition, unsportsmanlike ejected. Ejected from the game. So we went throughout the whole entire broadcast on Friday night, and the reason I want to bring this up is because I was talking to people after the game, and I was like, man, I really wish I had known that because throughout the broadcast, we didn't know this new rule. This is new to this year that if you do that, it's not just a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty. It's you are ejected. You are done. You are done for the day. Now, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and say that J.H. Rose winning 54-7 to um, could not have happened. If Kamad Scriven, Newburn's starting quarterback, had been allowed to play the remainder of the game. But I think we can all sort of keep that in the back of our mind that, well, you know, they, they played the entirety of that game without their starting quarterback. Without their starting quarterback. And I do want to give a shout out to uh, Daquan Bradley, a sophomore quarterback who tossed a touchdown in this game. His first varsity touchdown as a Newburn Bear football player. He and Damari Tucker, who interestingly, was on the receiving end of that touchdown from Daquan Bradley. Those two guys sort of filled in uh, option A, option B behind Kamad Scriven. As, as Newburn tried to pick up the pieces from losing their starting quarterback, uh, those two, uh, Damari Tucker's just a freshman, Daquan Bradley a sophomore, they played really well, but it's a tall ask. A tall ask, first night, you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, going up against a really good J.H. Rose team that had a great defensive game plan against Newburn's triple option. It's a tall ask. So the reason I bring this up is not to say, well, what could have been, what could have been, what if, what if, what if. The reason I bring this up is because Jordan Honeycutt, uh, you guys are familiar with Jordan Honeycutt, uh, he tweeted out on Friday night during the game, Newburn quarterback Kamat Scriven, got thrown out of the game, apparently, after in the first quarter he dove into the end zone for a score. Apparently, he was tossed for the dive. Must be a new rule. If so, it's amazingly stupid. I agree. And I said this during the broadcast. I was shocked that they even threw an unsportsmanlike penalty because, to paint a quick picture for you, Kamad was basically dashing towards the right front corner of the end zone. And he dove, and the Rose defender was inside the five. The guy was right there nipping at his heels. So while the dive may not have been like 100% necessary, well, I think there may be a little bit of 
discretion that needs to come in where we're saying, okay, here's a high school quarterback who on the third play of a football game just made an unbelievable play to start the season. And, oh, it's not like there was nobody within 30 yards of him. There was a Rose, a Rose defender right on his heels. If you don't believe me, we've got the, the tape. You can go check out our Facebook page, 252 ESPN. Right, The video from the game's up there. You can go watch it. But the reason I bring up Jordan Honeycutt's tweet is, I remember this guy, he was a referee at the YMCA, refereed youth YMCA basketball when I was a, uh, a young kid here in New Bern playing YMCA basketball, Alvin Williams. And he, he does all sorts of refereeing here in the area, high school referee and all this stuff. A lot of you are probably familiar with Alvin. He responded to Jordan Honeycutt's tweet, and his response is, wow, the rule is if you're in the open field and dive in the end zone with nobody within 20 yards of you, it's unsportsmanlike, and thus leading to the ejection. I can go ahead and damn sure tell you that that was not the case on Friday night. There was there was no – there were probably four defenders within 20 yards, and there was one within three but yet, Kamadis Griffin gets ejected from the game. So, um, the, the biggest reason I bring this up is on the heels of the news that Newburn versus D.H. Conley has been postponed this week. Is that if you are a Newburn fan, Newburn is still going to have a really, really solid team this year. They are going to be just as good as they were in 2019, if not even better. If not even better. That 54 to seven score, you don't even need to be bugged by it. Don't be bothered. Nothing. They're going to be fine. But for the J.H. Rose fans out there, I will put an asterisk next to that statement I just made and say, but J.H. Rose is also really, really, really good. This is going to be a great year for high school football here in our area. We've got a lot, a lot of really strong teams in this area. So it should be a lot of fun. So we'll keep you posted on Friday Night Football um, and any schedule changes that we may have as uh, as as it unfolds. So Newburn versus D.H. Conley temporarily postponed. Newburn will be back in action um, the following Friday, March the 12th. It'll be Newburn at CB Acock. Uh, and then Newburn will be back at home. We'll get Eastern Wayne, South Central, Southern Wayne. And then um, tentatively, as of right now, the last game of the season is April 9th versus West Craven. And the playoffs begin April 16th this year. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on all of that. Of course, Friday Night Football, you can listen each and every single week right here on 252 ESPN Radio, being presented by Toyota of New Bern. Toyota of New Bern, our presenting sponsors of Friday Night Football this season. Hey, let's do this real quick also, though, um, because coming up tonight, we actually do have a few of our Eastern North Carolina basketball teams who are still Hanging out in the playoffs. Yes, uh, we still have a few high schools here in Eastern North Carolina repping the 252 in the Eastern Regionals, which uh, get underway tonight. In the 3A boys division, we've got number six West Carteret versus number 13 Northwood. So West Carteret going to be in action this evening. Uh, the 2A boys, excuse me, number nine Farmville Central going to be taking on number 15 Northeastern. And then the 1A boys, we've got the number three ranked Wilson Prep versus number five Riverside Martin. So uh, I'm just going to do this here. Big thank you to 
News Channel 12's WCTI's Brett Kennedy. Brett Kennedy uh, doing a little coverage of Wes Craven tonight. He sat down with Mark Mansfield, the head coach of the Wes Craven Patriots. Mark Mansfield uh, ahead of tonight's game. So here it is. Big thank you. Brett Kennedy, News Channel 12, sat down with Wes Carteret head coach Mark Mansfield. High school state basketball playoffs are tomorrow. Five of our local teams are still alive, including the West Carteret boys, who host Northwood tomorrow at 7 p.m. It's a historic game for the Patriots since it's the first time the team has made it to the Final Four of the state tournament since back in 1985. West Carteret won the 3A state championship that year, and one player that was on that team is Patriots' current head coach, Mark Mansfield. Funny how things play out. So if the Patriots want to head back to the title game, their head coach certainly knows what it takes to get there. I learned some valuable lessons. We lost in the Final Four my junior year, and I learned from my mistakes and some of my other teammates, some you know, things. You get caught up in the, in the excitement. The next year we're able to go back and win it with the experience. So I'm trying to share my experience to give them the memory that I've had for a lifetime that hopefully they get to keep for a lifetime. Kind of passing the torch forward. Just to realize that there's only four teams left in this thing, and we, we're that close. I mean, he experienced that, and now for him to come back and coach a team, I mean, that's pretty crazy for him. West Carteret plans to have a whiteout at tomorrow night's game to honor the late Patriots coach, Craig McClanahan. So that game coming up a little later this evening. Um, so good luck to all those local area schools still alive in the high school state basketball playoffs. Kind of cool. Uh, West Carter, first time. You heard it there. The first time in the Final Four since 1985, and uh, they won it that year. And the current head coach, Mark Mansfeld, was actually on, uh, actually on that team, which is – that's what's cool about high school sports, right? I mean, that's – that's always kind of been the thing. It's like this pageantry, man. It's like memories you remember forever. I wasn't even that good at anything in high school on the athletic field. You're probably all over. Depends on who you ask. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is this is how special that stuff is. I mean, I was I was at Newburn. Newburn won two different state championships. It was um, when Brett Williams won, I was a freshman. When Josh Taylor won it at the quarterback, I was a senior. And I wasn't even on the field. And those are memories and runs that I will always remember. So a uh, good luck, a big, uh, you know, best wishes to those kids tonight uh, here from the 252 participating in the NCHSAA basketball playoffs here in our region. We're just going to have to cram a lot into the last segment, or maybe I'll try to split it up into two. I've been long winded today. That happens. I'm going to talk Charlotte Hornets. Um, I want to talk about salads. If we don't get the salad talk today, we'll do salad talk tomorrow because Robin Lopez, who is, uh, you know, fluffy hair, fights mascots, big man for the Washington Wizards. The Athletic, or no, excuse me, this was The Ringer. The Ringer put out a really fascinating article about life on the road for NBA players and more specifically what it's like to have to live off of a hotel room service menu. Kind of an off-the-wall topic, but uh, a really fascinating article that I urge you to seek out. But Robin Lopez makes some points about salads specifically that I thought was so relatable. So if we don't get to that t today, we will get to that tomorrow. But I do want to talk some Charlotte Hornets, and I do want to get to specifically what this loss for Syracuse 
last night, or excuse me, this loss for Carolina to Syracuse last night means for the Heels their postseason aspirations and hopes. Because I'm not saying this is like turning into an epic collapse, but every single week when Joe Lenardi updates his bracketology, I just see Carolina falling, falling, falling. And Duke's rising, rising, rising. And they play on Saturday. <laughs> so all that and more coming up the rest of the afternoon. This is the Sam Avila Show, presented by Toyota of New Bern, right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Sam Avila Show, right here on 252 ESPN Radio. <laughs> this is a terrible song. I was talking to somebody over the weekend. I don't even remember how we got on the conversation, but they told me somehow we got to. Actually, I don't know. This might have been Vaughn. Vaughn's going to be here tomorrow. Vaughn Casey, of course, uh, hangs out in here a couple days a week. Vaughn should be in here tomorrow. Maybe I'll ask him about this because he's better with music than I am. But I heard somebody talking recently, and they were saying how hip hop has been. It's been a roller coaster for hip hop. That hip hop is the genre of music that has the most stark differences from year to year or every couple of years to every couple of years compared to any other genre of music. And if you need any perspective on that, the name of this song that you may be hearing in the background is um, is simply called Chicken Noodle Soup. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Chicken noodle soup with a soda on the side. That's what uh, that's what I was raised up on. The music and the food. <laughs> it's terrible music. <laughs> uh, Von Casey is supposed to be joining me uh, in studio tomorrow. I believe he will be here for the next two days. So that uh, that should be a lot of fun. We'll have some fun with Von. And reminder, uh, Jonathan Alexander from the Charlotte Observer set to join us on tomorrow's show, specifically because one of the names that has been getting a little bit more buzz in Carolina for the Carolina Panthers in the upcoming NFL draft, we talked about this earlier, has been Mac Jones. The reason he's really getting buzz is because ESPN's Mel Kuyper um, and his most recent mock draft had the Panthers selecting Mac Jones at number eight. Um the one thing I will say about that, I do mock drafts. I do a mock draft every year. I just do the first round because beyond that is it's already obnoxious to do a mock draft because I always laugh at like people say, Oh, how do you know this? Like, how do you know that that guy's going to go there? Like, what do you know about this random left guard that played at Iowa? I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything. I just, you know, read a bunch of different mock drafts and kind of pick and choose what I think makes sense. But Mel Kuyper is one of these guys who will mock all seven, eight rounds, whatever it even is anymore in the NFL. Um, but he's often wrong. I think this will be the fifth year in a row I've done a mock draft, and every single year I go back and I grade my first round compared to his first round. And in my rule book, the only way you get a point if you're scoring your mock draft is the exact player to the exact team. And I've had a couple instances over the last couple of years where I will have gotten the player in the team, but like the team will have traded up to get them. I let myself have that. 
<laughs> but I've scored myself against Mel Kuyper, the self-proclaimed expert, the guy who's uh, – what a work calendar. Can you imagine that being your work calendar? It's like all year long you just prep for the draft. Prep for the draft. Mock draft, mock draft, mock draft. And then the draft is over in three days. And you could have been completely wrong on everything, as Mel Kuyper often is. I think this last go-around, I only got like five of the first 32 picks exactly correct. And I think Mel got three in the first round. So, (laughs) I don't know. That's a great job. (laughs) That's a great job. I've talked about this guy before. His name's Joey Molinaro. If you are... um, all over Twitter. I'm sure you have seen this guy before. He works for Barstool Sports now, but he sort of uh, had a meteoric rise to fame because he started doing... He's like a a modern-day Frank Caliendo. If Frank Caliendo only stuck to sports and doing like Twitter videos and TikTok videos. Great impressionist. He put one out earlier this morning. I wanted to hear... I wanted you to hear, since we were talking a little Mel Kuyper and Mac Jonas today. This is Joey Molinaro, M-U-L-I-N-A-R-O. This is courtesy of his Twitter account. This is what it would sound like if you were deciding to pick somewhere to go to lunch with Mr. Mel Kuyper. Pretty hungry. I was thinking about maybe getting some McDonald's for lunch. You in? Sure, yeah. McDonald's gonna be great. Got a Big Mac of the secret sauce. Reminds me a lot of Mac Jones out of Alabama. Look at him. He's got some secret sauce too. Like him, like his size. Like a- uh, I don't know. It actually. Now I'm kind of thinking Burger King. Yeah, no problem. Could do Burger King. Get a Whopper. Reminds me a lot of Penny Soul. He's quite the Whopper coming down the hill. Get a blocking. Gonna be a Whopper of a blocker coming down. Um, I don't know. It's. Kind of unhealthy. What about uh, Jimmy John's? A little lighter? Yeah, no problem. If it's too heavy, go Jimmy John's and get a slim. Reminds me a lot of Devontae Smith at Alabama. Very slim, very slender, a lot of speed. Can be electric. It really could round out your office. Just like the slim could round out your lunch. All right, I don't think I want to get lunch with you anymore. <laughs> I don't know if anybody wants to go get lunch uh, with Mel Kuyper. But again, courtesy of uh, Joey Molinaro. You can follow him on Twitter at Joey Molinaro. And Instagram and TikTok, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, what did I have here? Oh, I got an update for you. We have been talking a lot today about Friday Night Football. Because one of the big things that we talked about earlier was that the Newburn D.H. Conley game scheduled for this Friday night has been postponed. It has been postponed. Sad news. However, I do have an update and perhaps some good news. Athletic Director Bo Lanchi over there at Newburn High School has been working hard this afternoon, and I have an updated Newburn Bears football schedule for you. Yes, yeah, so Bears fans, listen up. So the D.H. Conley game. Sorry, as I sit here and stall. The D.H. Conley game has now been rescheduled to Tuesday, March the 16th. Tuesday, March the 16th uh, is now going to be the date. We're going to have some Friday night football on a Tuesday. Because of that, the game that was scheduled for March the 19th versus Eastern Wayne is now being moved to that Saturday. Okay, So the week of um, the 15th, Monday the 15th onward, originally was just going to be one football game that Friday night at home for the Bears versus Eastern Wayne. Now going to get two games in that same week for Newburn High School. Tuesday, 316 versus DH Conley. And now the Friday night game, originally scheduled for the 19th, 
is going to be on Saturday versus Eastern Wayne. Everything else um, as of right now still remains the same. You have the homecoming game uh, on April the 2nd versus Southern Wayne, and then April the 9th is tentatively the final game of the regular season versus West Craven. The away games still remain the same. Next Friday night, or a week from this upcoming Friday night, March the 12th, the Bears will be on the road at CBA Cock, and the March 26th game still remains unchanged at South Central. So there you go. We had the news earlier that this Friday's game was postponed. We now know the makeup date is going to be on uh, March the 16th. March the 16th versus D.H. Conley, and the 19th game versus Eastern Wayne is now moved to Saturday the 20th. Any questions? Follow us on Facebook, 252 ESPN Radio. Carolina Oliveras does a wonderful job updating graphics for you each and every single week, informing you of the upcoming schedule here on the radio. We're going to run out of time today. Um, I need to prioritize. You know, we're going to do the Robin Lopez salad thing tomorrow because I think I can have some fun with Vaughn on that as well. So, uh, again, just going to continue to promote this because it's what radio is all about. Uh, Von Casey going to be in studio with me tomorrow, and Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer going to be calling in, and we're going to talk some Panthers with him, uh, specifically Mac Jones. And if we're buying that, Mac Jones could potentially be drafted by the Panthers because I'm going to say I'm going to say no. But I'm just taking a real optimistic approach with the Panthers this offseason, and it's been such a whirlwind hurricane rumor mill on the uh, <laughs> what we have changed. We're changing the quarterback carousel because nobody calls it a carousel. We're going to call it the quarterback merry-go-round. Remember, that's the new rule here on the show. The quarterback merry-go-round, there's just been a million different stops for the Panthers. So at this point, I'm just going to you know just speak good vibes into existence. I have already put all my eggs into the Carolina Panthers basket for next season. As you know, I am an Eagles fan uh, by trade, and I'm not putting much stock into what my Philly Eagles are going to do next year. So I'm all in on the Panthers. We'll talk to Jonathan tomorrow and get a get an update. Get an update. Uh, speaking of sports out there in Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets remain on their West Coast swing, which we've talked over the last couple of weeks. These West Coast swings, especially this year um, with the COVID pattern schedule for these NBA teams. The West Coast swing has been a make or break section of each team's schedule so far this season. And the Hornets are right now in the midst of a pretty good uh, West Coast swing and pretty good just size wise. They have been out on the West Coast for, gosh, seemingly, seemingly about 10 or 12 days now. And you know what? They're holding their own. They're holding their own, and that's all you can ask for when you're talking about a I, – I, I don't want to do it. They're below average. They're still a below average Hornets team, but sadly when you talk about the Charlotte Hornets, below average is a massive upgrade, right? I mean, I hate to say it, but below average is a big upgrade for this team. So anyways, they've been out there for about five or six games now. They lost to the Jazz Jazz are beating everybody. They beat the Suns. That was a huge win for the Hornets. They ended up losing to the Warriors. That's the second time they've seen them in as many weeks. And then Sunday night, um, Sunday night trailing 
I, I think that you know they do those win percentages, like the FPI winning percentage thing. The Hornets had one point six percent chance of winning the game on Sunday night versus the Kings with about four minutes left. One point six percent chance. Well, they came back and won that game. Yes, they did. PJ Washington dropped a career high forty two points. Oh my goodness. P.J. Washington, only in his second year with the team, dropped 42 in that game. Uh, unbelievable. Hornets came back and won. And then, unfortunately, last night in the pen- penultimate the penultimate game of this uh, West Coast swing, the Hornets lost to the Trailblazers last night. They'll wrap it up tomorrow night at 8 o'clock versus the Timberwolves, and then they'll be back home for a three-game homestand. But I wanted to mention this, uh, this game last night, the penultimate game if you will penultimate is one of my favorite like big vocabulary words that you know was on a spelling test for all of us at some point when we were maybe five not five if if, if you're five years old and somebody's handing you a vocabulary test with the word penultimate on it then you need to change schools but if you don't know and i'm not trying to you know be a jerk here penultimate means like next to last and the only way i ever remember that it's one of those words that always stick with me because I was a bookworm as a kid. I think I've talked about that before. I always had my nose in a book. And one of my favorite books was the popular series, at least for uh, my generation. It was called A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. They made a movie about it a couple years ago that was terrible, uh, starring Neil Patrick Harris. Maybe it wasn't a movie. I think they've done a movie and they tried to do a Netflix series. And both times it didn't work. Pretty decent books, but I think there's like eight or nine of them in the series. And the title of the next to last book was called The Penultimate Peril. And so for some reason, that's always stuck with me. So one of my favorite words to use whenever I get an opportunity, thanks to those books. But you don't care about that. You probably don't even care about the Hornets, but I'm going to tell you about what happened last night. Charlotte Hornets lost 123-111 to to the Portland Trailblazers last night. Um, Trailblazers are a pretty good team. Dame Lillard, Dame Dalla. Um, all them boys. I think McCollum's been out for a while. The Blazers are, are playing good basketball, but the Hornets honestly looked okay last night. Terry Rozier put up 20. That is a storyline that I have really enjoyed this year is comparing – we did this last week with Steve when he was in here – comparing Terry Rozier and what he's been able to do over the last season and a half for the Hornets versus what Kemba Walker – has been doing up in Boston. I know a lot of us were upset to see Kemba Walker move on from Charlotte, but two years ago when that move was made, people kind of laughed at Michael Jordan, and I think we probably joined them here on this show. The difference between us and everybody else is we admit when we were wrong. We were wrong about the the Michael Jordan-Terry Rozier thing. Terry Rozier was given a three-year, $58 million deal, and it was like earth-shattering to me as to how grossly overpaid I thought the guy that we were calling Scary Terry was being paid. Remember he had that one meteoric rise um, in Boston one season and got the moniker Scary Terry and was balling out in the playoffs. And then the following season kind of came back down to earth a little bit. Well, MJ does like a sign-and-trade. They move on from Kemba, and they give Terry a three-year, $58 million deal. Three-year, $58 million deal. This dude is outperforming his contract. That's not easy to do. It is not easy to outperform a $58 million deal over three years. 20.2 points per game, 
44% from three. Above average defense, that's about the most you can ask for in the NBA. And this dude has just been Mr. Clutch, Mr. Down the Stretch. Uh, had the like seven points in 30 seconds against the Warriors a couple weeks ago where they got the win. I was raving about that a couple weeks ago because, because of Terry Rozier's performance, the Charlotte Hornets, of all people, were leading the A block on SportsCenter on a Sunday morning. Unheard of. That never happens. But... Uh, doing much better than Kemba has been for Boston this year. Kemba's name still being talked about as a uh, a potential piece that could be traded as we are about, oh, about two and a half weeks from the NBA trade deadline here. Terry Rozier, as active as I would like to see Charlotte be at the trade deadline. And it's still a little cloudy what Charlotte intends to do, what they maybe hope to do. They're sitting right now at the eighth spot. In the Eastern Conference, that doesn't sound great, but when I tell you they have 18 losses on the season, they're 16-18 and 18 in the eighth spot. The New York Knicks are fourth at 18-17. and 17. The Eastern Conference um, has, let's see, oh, let's debut our, or let's bring back our favorite segment. We like to call this counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams. Seven teams in the Eastern Conference, from the fourth seed of the New York Knicks all the way through the Chicago Bulls at the 10 seed. All eight of those teams have either 17 or 18 losses. The NBA standings are as muddy and cloudy as I have probably ever seen them. Probably ever seen them 35 games into a season. I think we've only got a night or two, maybe, of... NBA games. Let's see. Okay, it goes through the 4th. So Thursday night will be the last game, or the last night of NBA games for a couple days. And then we've got the All-Star break coming up this weekend. I think that game's been played on Sunday. And they're doing the slam dunk contest and the skills contest and the three-point. They're doing that all on Sunday. They're not doing like the NBA All-Star Saturday night. Because, like, that's really going to prevent... Like, if they're scared of a COVID outbreak or something, you would think just scrap the whole thing. I don't know if putting it all in one night is necessarily going to fix the problem. But I digress. I'm just happy to see it because I love the NBA All-Star stuff. (laughs) I brought up the Hornets specifically with that game versus the Trailblazers last night, though, because even though they lost, even though they lost, there was kind of a... I want to say a historic moment. A historic moment in that game last night. And and the reason it was historic is because one of the favorite players of a generation, an iconic player, a fan favorite, a beloved player, a guy who probably isn't ever going to be remembered for being such an important part of an era of NBA history, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony still floating around the league in his second year with the Portland Trailblazers. Um, Mellow, right? Beloved Mellow. Gotta love Mellow. We've been all through all different carnations of Mellow, right? Hoodie Mellow, Fat Mellow, Skinny Mellow, Knicks Mellow, Nuggets Mellow, Syracuse Mellow, right? Winning the championship his freshman year. Sort of thrown out there with the the same class of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Part of that whole generation. Never really won anything. Has had times throughout his career where it's like, hey, he might be the best offensive player in the game. Well, throughout his career. Like, in one specific window of his career. But then also, it was like, well, you know, 
you can't pass the ball to Mello because once you pass the ball to Mello, Mello's going to shoot. And sometimes that's bad for teams. <laughs> Anyways, the reason this was special last night is because Carmelo Anthony in the win versus the Charlotte Hornets. Car- Carmelo Anthony put up 29 points. 29 points. Classic Mello. Put on a clinic. On the other side of the court, well, if you haven't heard about them by now, you need to start paying attention to Charlotte Hornets basketball because not even close, not even a conversation, the biggest blowout in an awards way, a race I have ever seen. LaMelo Ball is your rookie of the year. We're halfway through the season. He's the rookie of the year. It's not even close. Carmelo, old Melo, dropped 29 last night. Young Mello, LaMelo Ball, dropped 30. Dropped 30. Rook, 30. I'd still love the comparison that Joshua Matthews, um, and maybe we can talk to Josh this week. If we don't get Joshua on this week, we'll we'll loop back around with him next week, maybe post-All-Star break to sort of uh, reset for the back half of the season for the Charlotte Hornets. I asked him to give me a player comp a few weeks ago, and the descriptor or description rather that he gave me for LaMelo Ball because I said, you know, I, I've never seen a guy like this who's got the ball handling skills and the creativity, and he gets a little flashy, but he takes care of it. He plays great defense. He's six foot seven. He can shoot the three. Gets a total package. What's a player comp? I haven't seen anything like that in a while. He said he's a six foot seven Chris Paul. Six foot seven Chris Paul. Mellow. Our mellow. Charlotte's mellow. Um, I hope Charlotte's mellow for a long time. I always. Just I get goosebumps every time I talk about LaMelo Ball, and the reason is is because I'm always scared he's going to leave <laughs> when his rookie contract's up, and he's going to end up uh, going and playing somewhere else. LaMelo Ball had 30. Carmelo had 29 last night. It was the meeting of the Mellows for the first time, and I know that's really not that significant, but if you are a LaMelo Ball fan and you're trying to get on this bandwagon, Kind of a big moment. So people are obviously already calling LaMelo Ball Mello, right? Which he's now the second Mello in NBA history. And I think it's interesting to look at it from a, a generational standpoint. I mean, Carmelo Anthony's been in the league since like early 2000s. What was that? Like 03? I don't even know when he was drafted, but he's old now. And there's been two decades of NFL or excuse me NBA fans who have known Mello by one name. It's just Mello. That's now taken on a completely different meaning, uh, where uh, there's a new wave of NBA fans, and their Mello is going to be Lamelo Ball and not Carmelo Anthony, which is probably blasphemous to some of you NBA fans. But somebody like me who sort of straddles the fence of generations. I think it's kind of cool. So he was asked, Carmelo was asked after the game about LaMelo Ball also being called Mello. And the quote here reads, "LaMelo is going to be in the league for a long time. So you might as well get you might as well use it. For me, it's an honor to have him share that name with me." So how about that? Carmelo Anthony already saying it's an honor to have this 19-year-old kid sort of commandeering his nickname. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony, his famous, you know, everybody has like their trademark thing. Kevin Garnett slams his head, or used to slam his head up against the, uh, what do you call that thing? The the stand that the basketball goal is on. Uh, LeBron James always did like the chalk toss thing, right? Carmelo Anthony's thing was always when he 
buried a three. He would, you know, hold up the three fingers, his middle finger through his pinky finger, and form like the okay symbol with his finger. And he would take it and he would, you know, bang it a couple times against his head, like the side of his head, his dome, if you will. Lamelo Ball's doing that now. Like he literally is just like, I'm mellow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that very same, that very same celebration and rightly so i mean this is a kid who's already had a game this season where he knocked down eight different three-pointers so they also asked Lamelo ball about you know hey he's, he's doing your 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 three-point signal to the dome carmelo says quote i embrace it i blessed him he can do it do you hear that hornets fans our great Lamelo ball has been blessed blessed by the great carmelo anthony Now, that being said, I wish it had been somebody like, you know, somebody with some championships or some rings, or maybe that didn't have portions of his career when he was laughed at to to bless a Charlotte Hornets player, right? Our our prepubescent superstar in Charlotte LaMelo Ball. It would have been nice to get a blessing from a a I don't want to say a better player. Like if LaMelo Ball turns into just as the caliber, they're completely different players, but the caliber of player that Car- Carmelo Anthony has been in his career. We're, we're talking about the best Charlotte Hornet of all time, right? We're talking about the best Charlotte Hornet of all time. It's only been 35 games, and I really want to say that outside of Kemba Walker and maybe Al Jefferson, LaMelo Ball is the best Charlotte Hornet player that's existed in a decade. 35 games in, I'm willing, I'm willing to make that statement. Line up. Line up everybody else. What, do you want to put Noah Vonley up there? Michael Kidd-Gilchrist? Nah. LaMelo, he's been blessed. He has been blessed. Uh, Keenan Thompson, who is somehow still on Saturday Night Live, somehow still on Saturday Night Live, does a reoccurring bit on the Weekend Update uh, segment where he plays LeVar Ball. We haven't had to hear from him for a couple of years because, well, you know, the Lonzo thing didn't really pan out, did it? Even though Lonzo is playing better as of late, if you watch much Pelicans basketball. <laughs> but they brought LeVar Ball back, Keenan Thompson's LeVar Ball character, back on Weekend Update this week on SNL. Real quick, he's going to say something about Charlotte that uh, really it's just been Charlotte's problem forever. I don't know about that, but it's been a good year for you. LaMelo is playing really well. Your son. You damn right he is. Yeah. And he's playing for the most storied franchise in all of basketball, the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> the most storied franchise in all of basketball, the Charlotte Hornets, yes. Uh, Hornets are going to be back in action tomorrow. We're going to have to push this Carolina conversation until tomorrow, but let me throw this out there for you right now. The newest Joe Lenardi bracketology. The newest Joe, Joe Lenardi bracketology that came out earlier this morning. You Dukies. Well, you got your work cut out for you still. Duke, I believe, is actually in action tonight. I'll see if I can't uh, pull up who they're playing. I kind of forget. But the Duke Blue Devils have moved up officially into the first four out the first four out which means you are so close you are so close but you're not quite in yet but duke basketball gonna look a little bit different or looking a little bit different as of late surprisingly jalen johnson leaving that team has sparked them to start playing a little bit better duke is going to be in action yes tonight versus uh, taking on Georgia Tech. That's at 8 o'clock tonight. But Duke has now won five straight games. Wins over NC State, then Wake Forest. Upset number 21, Virginia. 
Um, that was before State even beat Virginia. And then uh, they beat Syracuse. And then, or excuse me, they lost to Louisville over the weekend. But Duke has moved up to that first four outline. Games versus Georgia Tech and, of course, the game versus Carolina coming up this weekend. Carolina got the first win of the season. We're going to talk about that game, the upcoming game this Saturday at some point later this week. But going to be a pivotal game. And I can't remember, you know, if you have been watching these teams this year, you've not been enjoying yourself. Duke and Carolina both have been beyond frustrating. And they're not the same star-driven teams that we've had in years past. They're not the same fun and exciting. And even if you're a casual college basketball fan, Duke and Carolina usually gets you to the television screen. This game coming up this weekend is going to have real legitimate stakes for both of these teams because Duke has to win against Carolina to get in. They have to beat Carolina to get into the tournament. And Carolina, if they mess around after losing to Syracuse last night and they drop one to Duke and then let's say something bad happens in the ACC tournament and they're bounced early, Joe Lenardi this morning has Carolina down to a 10 seed. A 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, we might not be talking about the number one and the number two seed that we sometimes get to to talk about and get excited about for a Duke versus Carolina matchup. But this year, we're talking about Carolina being able to send Duke home. Send Duke to the NIT. Tell me that wouldn't feel good. Tell me that's not a game you can't get excited about. So we will preview all of that as the week goes on. Reminder, tomorrow, Jonathan Alexander, the Charlotte Observer, going to join us. We're going to talk some uh, Mac Jones to the Carolina Panthers. We'll keep that going, some other Panthers conversations. Von Casey also going to join me in studio tomorrow. As always, you can check me out on Twitter, at Sam Avalis. I don't tweet very often. But if you just follow me, maybe I'll tweet more. For every follower I get, I will send out another tweet. I usually got better things to do in my life than tweet. But I do love Twitter. So get get on Twitter and follow me on Twitter, at Sam Avalos. If you miss any of the show, you can always uh, download the podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. You can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just, just search the Sam Avalos Show. That's going to do it. This is the Sam Avalos Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. See you back here tomorrow, 4 o'clock.